thing that matters to you in existence? Mere gratitude. I wonder how that would work out for you come tomorrow and for me. What sort of things would just disappear? I imagine that our houses would be instantly cleaner. Because who's grateful for dust anyway? Hmm. I mean, think about it. How about stuff like this? Your vision. Your hearing. And your devices that correct these things. Or your sense of smell and touch. The ability to laugh. Or even cry. Your hair. Toilet paper. Opposable thumbs. Have any idea how difficult life would be, even even eating breakfast without opposable thumbs? What a wonderful design. Great design. Things that you just never think about. Your furnace. Things like cotton, coffee, beans and water, scissors, phones, spoons. How difficult would it be to eat soup? with a fork we have so much for which friends we ought to be walking around giddy day after day at the numerous blessings that God has bestowed upon us I don't know if you're a fan of Larson but uh, he, he does these comics called the far side you know just funny funny stuff and he uh, put a picture up there uh, recently that I saw that uh, it was a family of dogs on their knees and their elbows on the bed. You know, do dogs have elbows? I don't know. And, and they were praying. And, and, and God, please help us all to see colors tomorrow. You know, because dogs are colorblind. Maybe some colorblind people here today. You know? Yeah. The ability to, to look out and see colors, a sunset. All of God's creation should cause us to stop us in our tracks and give thanks. That's the way it ought to be. But let's be honest, friends, it's not really, is it? We take things for granted day after day. The people around us. hmm. And today we have an opportunity to test whether or not we are in the last days You know, because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, uh, In the last days there will come come times of difficulty. Some real severe difficult times. Why? Because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Makes for a pretty lousy world. When people are ungrateful. And we have the opportunity to test whether or not we really are in the last days by asking ourselves, am I truly grateful? And how about this? We live in a world where everybody knows what words mean unless you ask them. You know what I mean? Like, what does it mean to be grateful? And if you use the word thankful, you're just doing synonyms here, friends, not dictionary. We don't need a thesaurus. What does it mean to be grateful? 
I mean, that should matter. We got the big day coming up, right? And all of the family together and all of the busyness in the kitchen and the living room and organizing and this and that. And hmm. But it's a good, good opportunity for us to learn something about gratitude. So I would like you to turn with me in the book of Romans to chapter 1 where we're going to discover what a lack of gratitude, that a lack of gratitude is one of the primary reasons that mankind is under the wrath of God. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God. We, we you know, Jesus was nice and friendly, right? <laughs> you know, judgment is in Jesus' hands. Did you know that? It's true. So in Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. He's going to tell us what that looks like. But one of the things we notice right off here, my friends, is this. Is that God is a God of wrath. In your understanding of who God is, you have to understand that he is a God of wrath. And it's not difficult to remember such things as, we'll say, the flood. What kind of God creates all of these people, though they be wicked, determines that the best course of action, the righteous thing to do, is to drown every last one of them save a family and a boat full of animals. God is a God of wrath. When we talk about hell, I saw on, on Facebook, um, you know, there's all kinds of things you see on Facebook that you don't know how it gets there, but somebody asked a question. They didn't understand why Satan, who also doesn't like God, would persecute for all eternity people in hell who also don't like God. Completely misunderstanding the, what's going on in hell. Satan will be in hell, absolutely, but he won't be the, the one torturing people. He will experience the same anguish that everyone else in hell. You have to recognize that God is the same God who created this place that he might justly punish people for all eternity. <laughs> he's astounding. So he is a God of wrath. And God is a God of wrath. He is, of course, not only wrath. God is love. God is good and kind and compassionate. All of the things that we like God for, but he is more than that, my friends. His wrath is not capricious and uncontrolled anger, like what we think when we think of the word wrath. Think of somebody just flying off a handle, and that's not God, my friends. There are two basic words in the Greek language that are used to express anger. The first is uh, thumos. We get our word thermometer from that word. You know, therms. It means heat, red hot anger. It is the kind that overcomes people when they lose control and smack someone in the nose. It is impulsive and passionate. And that 
is not the word that we find here in our text. The word we use here is orge, which signifies a settled and abiding condition. It is controlled. You will note that the wrath of God is, is not human wrath, which is at its best only a distorted reflection of God's wrath, because it's always compromised by the presence of sin. But God's wrath is pure and righteous. The wrath of God is perfect, settled, and controlled. But you will know that God's wrath is parallel to his righteousness. In other words, God cannot be truly righteous without being a God of wrath. Truly righteous means that wickedness must be punished. God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. And he will always do the right thing. You will notice that at the opening line of verse 17, (laughs) it contains a phrase, a righteousness from God is revealed. In the opening of verse 18, where we started, the wrath of God is being revealed. You see, the wrath of God is a counterpart to the righteousness of God. The two belong together. Why are we talking about this? Well, we'll we'll see here. You see, God's wrath is also not directed at the goodness, against goodness, but against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. God's wrath is not directed against goodness, but against all the uh, godlessness and wickedness of men. In Psalm chapter 7, hear this. Psalm chapter 711. Boy, that's easy to remember, isn't it? 711. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. God, angry every day at the wicked. You know what the whole thing is about wetting his sword? It's spelled W-H-E-T. Perhaps some of you own a wetting stone. It's for sharpening a knife. There is God pictured, wetting, sharpening his sword for the day of judgment. Because wickedness must be punished. It must be. And so here we have this picture of God's wrath. And we know that this is part of who God is. God is also, again, a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of compassion. I mean, everything we want to know about God, we can see in Jesus. Don't forget that part of Jesus and his love and kindness and compassion, including throwing tables over, you know. God can only endure wickedness for so long. As a matter of fact, uh, when God brought out the nation of Israel from the land of Egypt and was bringing them to the land, there is an expression that is used. (laughs) The sin of the Amorite was not yet complete. 
In other words, God's judgment on these wicked people that had lived in this land that Israel was going to take over were wicked people and their wickedness was being filled up like a cup. And when they hit that mark, judgment came down. And so what's the cause of this wrath? This is a Thanksgiving Day sermon, by the way. Just keep that in mind. I know. I know. Bad choice, Pastor. We'll see. We'll see. Well, the cause of God's wrath here and the end of verse 18 is this. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. Hmm who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now you will notice there's not ignorance here. They are aware of this truth and they push it away. Suppress the truth. And notice verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Really? How? For his invisible attributes... Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. You can push away the truth. You can pretend you never knew. But when you stand before God, there is no excuse. All of creation has the fingerprints of God, his goodness. I mean, think about the colors in a sunrise or a sunset, particularly around here. I've lived in a lot of different places, my friends. And Niagara Falls sunset ain't got nothing on Portage, Indiana. I'll tell you, the colors are just spectacular. That's part of God's design. I mean, not just to warm up the place so we don't freeze to death, although it was pretty cold this morning, you know. Thank goodness for the sun, right? Yeah. Yeah. God's goodness revealed from the very creation who he is, his divine power. In Psalm 19, the heavens declare, they shout out the glory of God. And no one can deny it. You can't think about grass, for heaven's sakes. Grass was part of God's design. Why? Why grass? So you could cut it every week. But think about how durable it is. You know? Think about the smell of freshly cut grass. Hold on to that. You're going to forget about it till spring, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cause of God's wrath, first and foremost, is inexcusable ignorance. They are putting down the truth, but they know it. Look at verse 21, ingratitude. Oh, there's your Thanksgiving sermon right there. You want to know why God's angry? Because we are ungrateful. Because this is a world full of people who have all learned how to be thankful, but have no idea what gratitude is. Go ahead, Davy. Say thank you. Thank you. Aw, oh, what a nice little boy. We can teach manners, my friends, but gratitude, it comes from the heart. 
It's not just a list, my friend. It's a lifestyle. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Look at that. You look at this and you say, really? Of all the, the murder and kidnapping and wars and, and the thing that God is angry about is we did not honor Him as God and give Him thanks. The point of this, my friends, is this. It ain't just a holiday. God's expectation for every one of us, in light of all that he has given to us, all that he has done in our life, is that we should be people of gratitude. Hear me, I didn't say well-mannered people who always say thank you, and we always smile, and then say bless you, and gratitude. Gratitude. And here we sit, and we're still wondering, well, what is gratitude anyway, then? It's not just the saying thank you, is it? You see, they turned from the very purpose for which God made them to glorify him for his person <coughs> and to thank him for his works. This thing keeps falling here. Stop messing with the mic stand, whoever it is. <laughs> So what exactly is gratitude? It's not manners. It certainly can be expressed in saying, was it you, Jim? What are you laughing about? <laughs> you see, gratitude is the recognition of God's goodness and is expressed in the way that we live and the way that we prioritize. Gratitude. It's not so much in our words but in the way that we live. I guess it's a lot like love that way, isn't it? Love isn't so much the words, but the actions. Gratitude. We prioritize things differently. We don't go bananas over things that are 48 years old, and we remember our, my great-grandmother may have owned that, and maybe she thought it was trash then. I don't know, but we keep it today. We prize the... We've got a messed up priority system, friends. Gratitude makes things right. We understand what they are, what they're for, and how they ought to be used. Gratitude. And so we see the wrath of God. We know the cause of the wrath of God. Suppressing the truth. Dishonoring him. And refusing to give thanks. Astounding. Well, then Paul lays out for us the natural consequences of such a lifestyle. You know why you need to be grateful? Because this is what you become if you are ungrateful. See here at the end of verse 21 we read, But they became futile in their thinking. Insolence, my friends. The natural consequences of wickedness. Insolence, that's rude and disrespectful. They become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The flow of dishonoring God and being ungrateful produces insolence. 
And it leads to idolatry. Look at verse 23. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And birds and animals and creeping things. Think of all the different gods that men have made. I mean, think of the nation of Israel, that great horrific event. Moses goes up to the mount and he delays and the people wonder. And they say, well, let's just make our own God. And you know what they tell Moses when they, yeah, we threw all our gold in the fire and, and this came out. <laughs> Not very good liars, but, but they do often. The golden calf incident. We'll make our own God and we'll go back. And friends, while we don't fashion these things, we do create our own gods. Well, I, I like to do it this way. And I've always done it that way. And we become our own gods. Idolatry. Now you will notice here, in verse 24, Therefore, in light of these things, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. What in the world does that mean? God gave them up. Here in verse 26, it says the same thing. For this reason, God gave them up. And what that phrase means is that he permitted them to go on in their sins and to reap the sad consequences. You've done the very same thing with your children, right? Look, I've told you a thousand times, don't play with that stick. And the next thing you know, there are great big crocodile tears and wailing and, oh, the cries. And sometimes it's the only way you learn, right? If you don't learn by wisdom, you'll learn by experience. And so God says, you want to keep that up? There it is. Experience the consequences. And so God gave them up in the lust of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth. Think of this. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. You know what the lie is? That man is his own God. And that's the thing about making your own God. Well, you must be a God then, huh? Yes, because you make it in your own image, and you make your own priorities its priorities, and... Yeah, idolatry. And they worshipped and served the creature, imagine, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. Insolence, rude, disrespectful, idolatry, immorality, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up. He gave them up to a dishonorable passion. Think of this. Think of this. Here in verse 26 and 27 is the clearest statement in the scriptures by God about homosexuality. A fruit of the ingratitude of man. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passions for one another, 
men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Again, the clearest teaching in the New Testament on homosexuality. In this section, Paul describes the practices shameful, unnatural, indecent, and as a perversion. By contrast, the Greco-Roman society of Paul's day tolerated homosexuality with considerable ease. Among some advocates, it was viewed as a superior relationship. Barclay, great commentary writer and scholar, wrote that 14 out of the first 15 Roman empires or, or emperors were homosexuals. But in Jewish culture, based on the Old Testament, it was regarded as an abomination. No feature of pagan society filled the Jew with greater loathing than its toleration or rather admiration of the homosexual practice. The Old Testament specifically prohibits homosexuality and Leviticus 18.22 clearly says, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. It's not an opinion, friends. That's the word of God. The penalty for both participation was death. Death. If a man was caught laying with a man or a woman with a woman, the penalty was death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, Paul specifically said that homosexual offenders will not inherit the kingdom of God. I tell you this, my friends, this is the word of God. You can listen to preachers who will say, well... You know, we, we want to be kind and loving. No, what we want to be is holy. God has called us not to suppress the truth, but to understand the truth. And it's that kind of thinking, my friends, that has brought about this whole mess. Finally, the last mark, consequence of this wickedness, rejecting God, suppressing his truth, and being ungrateful is incorrigibility, an unwillingness to be corrected or reformed. I refuse to change. There are people. They stand their ground, so to speak. I've gone this far, and I will stand. I will not turn back. I will not. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, there's that gratitude, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done, and they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, and insolent, haughty and boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And though they know, not, though they know God's righteous degree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. 
the fruit of ingratitude. You say, that seems awfully a big stretch. Let's go back to the garden. Let's go back to Adam who was made and that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he gave him a woman and he put them in this perfect and wonderful, beautiful garden. And there they are, walking in fellowship with God. Friends, this is what every one of us crave, that one day sin would be no more, that we would walk in perfect fellowship, no shame, no embarrassment, no wondering what someone else is thinking about me. And along comes Satan. He says, you know what you're missing? And the answer is not a darn thing. You have everything. It is perfect. And so here is God's gift to them. Are they grateful for it? No. Let's go take that fruit. We want something different. Imagine. And it all led to sin. And it all ended this. And it is the reason why Christ came. To die for our sin. To rise from the dead. That we might be delivered from it all. Is God a God of love? Absolutely. But he is a God of righteousness. Gratitude matters, my friends. So let's think long and hard as we maneuver our days. We sum it up, perhaps the greatest crime in all of creation is to rob God of the gratitude he deserves. So move beyond your manners to gratitude, my friends. Move beyond just the thank yous to true gratitude. Hey, manners are good. It's how we show respect to other people. But gratitude is how we show our gratitude to God. So take time to consider his many blessings in your life. The things that we overlook day after day after day. Friends, there is enough that every day of the rest of your life you could spend every moment in gratitude to God. Practice it. Make time to give thanks as you move through your days. Recognize it as a gift and blessing from God and thank him for it. Because now we know how God feels when we don't. Yeah. Father in heaven, pretty heavy stuff here this morning, stuff we don't like to talk about. But God, you are just so good to us. Awaken us, I pray, Father, that we become people of gratitude, that we grow in this this area, that we are able to move beyond just the words into the lifestyle and the prioritization of the, the opportunities you've placed in our lives. Help us, God, that we would move beyond our arrogance to think 
that the people in our life don't matter as much as they do. Help us to love one another, to truly care for one another, to be grateful as you've placed others in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.